as you're turning there, I came across a kind of funny story. Some time ago, a member of, and we may not resonate with this too much in the U.S., but a member of the British House of Parliament condemned the governing administration under Prime Minister Harold Macmillan as, quote, wandering about without ever, find, ever knowing where the main road is. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> Don't make any comparisons. <laughs> but aside from the boldness of the statement, the real shocker of that, of that came about when it was known that the person who said it was none other than the Prime Minister's son, Maurice McMillan. And when the Prime Minister was asked to comment on it the next day, he said, the member from Halifax had both intelligence and independence. How he got them is not for me to say. Well, whether we admit it or not, our children are in many ways messages of who we are. And there are a lot of people today believing different messages about who God is. I've met people here in town who say they believe in God, but never really get into much detail about the God they say they believe. And even the atheist believes something about God. I mean, his whole reason for existence is atheist, not God. But where do, they, where do people get their information about God? And how do they know that information is correct? How do we know? You see, even in a secular culture, people want to hear from God. Just tell us plainly what you're like and what you want, God. Well, what if God had already sent a message telling us plainly who he is and what he wants for us. Well, he has. And the question is not, has he told us who he is? The question is, do we believe the message and its sender? Do we trust the one he sent, his son, who has and is the message, who claims to be the savior from the sender? Well, let's let him speak this morning. And would you stand as we read in the Gospel of John, beginning in verse 44. This is God's word. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. You may have a seat. We studied last week that Jesus 
finished up his public ministry to crowds facing an enormous wave of unbelief in spite of many teachings and astounding signs to authenticate who he was people didn't believe and to the eyes of some that's where it ends but it's not the end unbelief in God's economy does not get the last word the people will be told again who God is and what He wants. And what Jesus wants for the people He was speaking to and what He wants for us today who hear His words is belief. So we should believe the Savior from the sender. And three times in this passage that we read, Jesus says that He was sent. And two times He said that He came for purposes. So, here's the question. Why did God the Father send Jesus? That's what we're going to answer today. First, Jesus was sent to shine the light. And when Jesus comes as the light, what does that assure us of? Well, it assures us, firstly, that in believing Jesus, we are really believing God. Look at with me at verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Now Jesus is not saying, Don't believe in me, believe in God instead. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that to believe in Jesus is to believe in God who sent him. No one comes, through the, no one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. So when we trust Jesus as the Savior from the sender, we get both. We get sender and Savior. We get God. We are truly trusting and believing God. John later writes in one of his letters that no one who denies, that means who disbelieves the Son, has the Father. But whoever confesses, that is, believes the Son, has the Father also. You want to get to God, you believe Jesus whom God sent. And secondly, we are assured that in believing Jesus, we are really seeing God. 40, verse 45, And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. The scripture says that God is spirit. And that we can't see him. We can't see spirit. So what this means is that when we see Jesus, we're not seeing what God would look like if he took on a human body. He ha he, God the Son now has a human body, but what we're seeing is the nature, character, and desires of God the Father on display in Jesus, through Jesus. Scripture says that in Jesus, the fullness of God dwells bodily. And when we see that, that's another way of talking about belief. The Christian faith is never a blind faith. Critics have accused us of that, but I hope you don't believe that falsehood. We don't come here believing not something that we haven't seen. No, our faith is based on what God has revealed. 
both in what he's said and what he's done and what he has made known. And many people reject Jesus because they want belief in God to be whatever they want it to be. I want to believe in a God who doesn't talk about sin and repentance. I want to believe in a God who doesn't send people to hell. I want to believe in a God who only lets the really good people, according to my definition of good, into heaven. I want to believe in a God who agrees with my idea of what's good and evil. I want a God who allows me to determine how I worship him. But we don't have blind faith. Blind faith comes up with that. We have a God and a Savior whom we know something about because He has told us about it. And we don't get the authority to make, up, make Him into whatever image we want because He has already revealed Himself. John wrote at the beginning of this Gospel, in John 1 verse 18, he says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. So when we see Jesus, we are re really seeing God. Believing Jesus, we are really seeing God. And when we really see him, thirdly, we are assured that in believing Jesus, we are rescued by God from darkness. Look at verse 46. Why did Jesus come? I have come into the world as light, so that... Whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Did you catch that? He comes so that we don't remain in darkness. This is the God we're supposed to see. Jesus comes as light to show us that God doesn't want us to remain in darkness. But wait, you might say, I'm a pretty good person, Aaron. Darkness? Really? Darkness is for those really bad people out there. Well, let's offer a test. Here's the test. In order to not be in darkness, according to Scripture, you need to be in the light, right? And Jesus says he is the light. So let's compare your life with Jesus's. Not with the people out there, with Jesus. And according to Scripture, if we, or you, if I find one area, just one, where we don't measure up to Jesus' life, who is the light, Scripture says we're guilty of all the darkness. So what are we going to say? That we're a lower wattage light? No, any place where we don't measure up to the light is called darkness. And if Jesus isn't in your life, if he is not your life, darkness is where you are already. But look at the character of God. Jesus has been sent so that you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stumble around making a mess of your life and the lives of others and a mockery of God who came to give you light. So here's a question. Do you desire to see God? And if not, why not? 
Many people believe that believing in Jesus means that you're going to have to obey enslaving rules, be tied down, kept from doing fun. Well, if that's the kind of God you, you think He is, I wouldn't want to believe in that kind of God either. But do you know what the irony is? The God who calls us to obey enslaving rules, ties us down and keeps us from actual fun is exactly the God we get if we don't believe Jesus. Our darkness is all of those enslaving things wrapped up inside candy. And the Bible calls them the fleeting pleasures of what? Sin. And because we're in darkness, we can't find our way out. But Jesus was sent so that we wouldn't have to stay there. Jesus was sent to shine the light. We should believe the Savior from the sender. So why else was God, why else did God send the, Jesus? Secondly, Jesus was sent to save the world. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge them, judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And we in the church hear that a lot, and praise God we do. Jesus is the Savior of the world. We even sang at the beginning, Light of the world, you step down into darkness. This is a clear statement from Jesus. I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. But what does it mean that Jesus came to save the world? First, it means that he's not prim- he didn't come primarily for judgment. If anyone hears my words and does not keep, that means heeding and obeying them. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Does that make anybody uncomfortable? That Jesus didn't come to judge the world? There's so much evil out there, Aaron. Why doesn't he take care of it? He didn't come for judgment. He's not there primarily for judgment. What's the emphasis of this verse? The emphasis of Jesus, his ministry, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his resurrection and exaltation is not meant to primarily condemn people. We, the people of God, need to be very careful with presenting Jesus Christ. Yes, we are called to warn people. Yes, we are called to expose the darkness, just like Jesus did. Yes, we point people to the truth. But why do we do those things? Do we do those things because Jesus showed up to make sure everyone was condemned and knew only how rotten they were? He didn't come for that. He came to save. God is a God of salvation. Ezekiel 18 verse 23 says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? God does not gleefully send people to hell. 
Jesus does have a judging role, but he doesn't stay far away and say, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. Even though he would be right to say so. What does God do? He comes. I'm here for rescue, not judgment, he says. And it's also true because Jesus is not here primarily for judgment, but to sent to save the world, then secondly, it means that we need saving. Let's not gloss over this. There's a reason God came to earth and said, I've come to save, and then proceeded to allow himself to be killed on a cross by a bloodthirsty mob who hated his person and teaching. And that reason was not because God saw how wonderful we all were without him and just came down to say, you guys are awesome. All you need is a little therapy and self-esteem pep talk from me, and then you'll really be who you want to be. No, he comes because we have a huge, huge problem. It's the biggest problem of everybody in this room, every man, woman, and child's life ever on this planet. It's our defiance of God. And all that comes with sin. We destroy ourselves in sin. We destroy one another in sin. And it's not just sin, it's all the consequences with it. It is that God's wrath is against sin. And if we are not saved, His wrath is against us. Read Romans 1, chapter 1 and 2 this week. Read Romans 1 and chapter 2 and look around at this world that is passing away and see if you can't see some similarities. He comes to save because there is not enough good that you can do. There are, not enough lo- there are no loopholes in God's legal code. There's not enough money in the world to set you free from sin and reestablish a right relationship between you and a holy God. In fact, for us to try to do so, the scripture says is further sinning. We need saving. And Jesus, that holy God, who is just, is also merciful, and he has been sent to save. This is the best news in the world. We should believe the Savior from the sender. Before we go to the next reason Jesus was sent, however, God, in his love, has another warning for us. What else does it mean that Jesus came to save the world? Thirdly, it means that if salvation is rejected, judgment is still there. Look at verse 47. Again, he starts it off saying, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. Okay, He does not judge them. However, verse 48, The one who rejects me, and does not receive my words, basically the same person who hears his words and doesn't keep them, that person has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. What does that mean? Well, have you wondered why, if Jesus came to save the world, 
why wasn't the whole world saved? Why do we have people dying who we don't know if they believe Jesus or not? Or whose lives reflected, I don't think they did. Why wasn't the whole world actually saved? He could totally do it. He's God. Jesus did not come to judge. But there is a day, he says, when his word, the good news, his instruction, the call to believe him, if it's rejected, will be used as irrefutable evidence of condemnation of the unbeliever. This may be hard to accept, but this is not hard to understand. Jesus said back in John 3 that there was zero need for him to come and condemn anyone. Every man, woman, and child on planet Earth is dead in their sins apart from Jesus. Already! If Jesus doesn't come, no one is saved. Because everyone is already justly condemned for rejecting God. But what's the good news? He has come. He did choose to come. And it is through Jesus alone that God shows the mercy of salvation. So be warned, if you persist in rejecting him who came to rescue you, if you say no to his rescue, there will come a day. The last day where you, your husband, your wife, your children, your neighbor, anyone who does not believe will be judged by the good news of the gospel you or they rejected. The rescue will pass you by if you reject it. But he says, if anyone or whoever believes, that means it's open for you. Anyone may come. So cry out to him, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you will be saved today, even to the last day. Jesus was sent to save the world. We should believe the Savior from the sender. And in this passage, there's a final reason why Jesus was sent. Jesus' life, his signs, his death, even his resurrection wouldn't mean anything at all if he didn't speak. He is not primarily called the presence. He's called the word. And words are communicated. So why did God the Father send Jesus? Thirdly, Jesus was sent to speak the life. I did not, I have not spoken on my own authority, Jesus begins in verse 49. And I've wondered this, and maybe you have too. Why does Jesus over and over point back to the reality that what he's speaking, what he's doing, is all directed and under the authority of God the Father. Have you wondered that? Why does he need to say that? Why, why not act on his own? Why is it important that Jesus speaks from the Father? Well, first, we can know that he speaks 
with the right authority if he speaks from his Father. For I have not spoken on my own authority, verse 49, but the Father who sent me has, given, has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And this teaches us something huge about God, and it lines with the rest of Scripture, is that the God of Scripture, the God we profess to believe, is a, is a Trinitarian God. There are three distinct persons of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But here's the amazing thing. Any one of them on their own would not be God. And if you look in Scripture, God has never done anything outside of all three of them being involved. So what that means is that if Jesus had spoken on his own authority, not God's, then he would be blaspheming. Because he, had, he, was say, he would be saying something false about God and claiming to be God simultaneously. And God forbids such a thing. Because Jesus is not just a man or a demon at worst, as people called him. Let's see if we can work to understand this. Let's imagine, if you will, a company, Acme. We'll go full-scale Warner Brothers here. Acme Company, who has, as part of their mission statement, something that they are known the world over for. That's one part of their statement is, we do everything together. So if an employee of Acme Company showed up for you or your business and said, don't worry, you have it on my authority that I'll provide what you need. You should do one of two things. You should either boot the guy to the curb or politely say no thank you. Why? Because in the employee saying what he did, he did not represent the company. And if Jesus shows up acting on his own, he would be misrepresenting the very nature God had communicated to his people. But he doesn't do that. So we can know that Jesus speaks with the right authority. And secondly, we can know that the Father's commandment is eternal life. Look with me at the end of verse 49 and verse, verse 50. The Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So what is the commandment that Jesus got from the Father? Everything that Jesus spoke and said was the commandment. My son, go and say everything that I tell you to say, exactly as I say it. Jesus spoke and said the commandment. And Jesus says that he knows Therefore, that this commandment is eternal life. How does he know that? Well, he's come to make the Father known, as we talked about, and as it's written in John chapter 1, verse 18. And how does he make the Father known? By speaking. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, of the, and the life. I am the light of the world. And on 
And how is it eternal, eternal life? Listen, when, wherever God is known, wherever God the Father is known as He truly is, where He's embraced as He truly is, through the mediator of God the Son, Jesus the Savior, there's eternal life. Because it is, our, it is our sin that separates us from God and thus from life. So when Jesus speaks and is the good news, which, is, which as the Apostle Paul says, is the power of salvation for everyone who believes, when we believe that, sin is dealt with and we are reconciled to God the Father who is life. We are made children of light, children of life. And so Jesus says, what I say, eternal life, I say as the Father has told me. And with news that good, of course he would say what the Father told him to say. Don't come away from this passage with a wrong view of God. Listen to him. He comes with a commandment of life. This is God the sender who sends the Savior. Jesus was sent to speak the life. We should believe the Savior from the sender. So who do you believe God to be? Who do you believe him to be given that he sent his son, the message, the Savior? Do you trust him? Do you hold him dear? Have you gotten comfortable in the darkness? Turn to him. Do you have judgment over you? Turn to him. Believe his message. Believe his son. If you believe, remember that God the Father is not just Jesus' Father. If you believe him, he is your Father as well. With all the benefits of the household of God for you. His intent is to make you like his message and to deliver his message to those still in darkness. We should believe the Savior from the sender. So let's pray for his help. Heavenly Father, well, we also want to pray to give you thanks. Because apart from you doing what you did, we would have no hope. Apart from you doing what you did, we could not be rescued. Apart from you doing what you did, we could not entrust in you, go out into the world and deal with people who are just as sinful as us. And so, Lord, we ask for your help in that because many times we don't act in, in the belief of this message. And we need your grace. We need your forgiveness. We need renewed minds. And we need renewed hearts. And we need your Holy Spirit to help us 
to love those who are in darkness just as you loved us who are in darkness. Because you want to love others and bring them out of darkness like you did us. Lord, we ask for your help. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, help us to be found in you. May we be full of you, trusting in you, resting in you, delighting in you. For in you, Lord, we have light. In you, we have salvation. In you, we have life. Thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.